Welcome, 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 welcome to the rum. To the rum. Welcome, 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 welcome to the rum. Welcome to the rum. And we are to the rum podcast. To the rum podcast. This is episode six. Thank you, everybody who has listened to us so far. So, Constantine, the last I checked, we have 1,274 overall listens. We have 169 subscribers. You can find us where, Constantine? You can find us anywhere you get your podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon Music. So please follow, like, and subscribe and continue to share. We appreciate your support, guys. Yeah, we really do. You guys make this podcast what it is. And I mean, Brian, yeah, we came from just drunk in Singapore. Let's do a podcast to 1,200 listeners and top 10% of podcasts globally, which blows my mind. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's one of those things. They say that sometimes the best ideas start in bars. And so this is last consignment from Black Tot. And Matt, you'll appreciate this. I'm trying to record like, oh, this is liquid from the 1970s. And Constantine's coming in going, nah. Like it's, trying to, it's a very beautiful piece of history. And so I'm trying to not laugh. And that was, oh my God, let's just let's just package this. Wait, so what is it, Jurassic Park? Before you knew what you had, you patented it, you packaged it, and now sell. You're selling it. With the updates, Constantine, well, lightly, because we have a mega guest today that we've got to get mega. to. So let's see, updates for me. I was supposed to be in Guyana, but for everybody listening, if you have a passport that's expiring in less than six months, they will not let you leave. So unfortunately, I was not able to go. But the good news, though, is that I'm actually going to Puerto Rico for the taste of rum. And I'll be hanging out with Jay from the Florida Rum Society. So if anybody's out in Puerto Rico, hit me up. Rum Curious Clubs, we actually have for March and May, Rum Babincourt. So we're calling these the Soul of Haiti. And we're really excited. So that'll be at Twisted Tiki in Orange County on the 12th of March. And then Bamboo Club on the 26th uh, down in Long Beach. So that is the Rum Curious Club tasting or Rum Curious Tastings upcoming right now. We had two this past weekend. We had 92 people show up across the two events. We had 74 bottles of rum purchased. Everybody had a great time. Shout out to Chips Liquor in San Diego and Showcase Wine and Spirits in LA for hosting, bringing out food, getting tables. And thank you to all of our sponsors from all the Spirit Bomb line, Privateer, Diplomatico, Planter Ray, Myrtle Bank, Down Island Spirits, et cetera, et cetera. If I, oh, El Dorado too. Sorry, don't get mad at me if I forgot to. The last thing for me, Constantine, is we started that Rum Curious Club Facebook group mm -hmm. four or five weeks ago, and we have 470 members right now. And oh. our esteemed guest is actually a member of that. So we're really excited. Yes. And Constantine, you've got some exciting updates too. Yeah, just a little bit coming up. I'll do a little traveling in May. I'll be passing through your town there in L.A., Brian. Uh, I'll be in Washington, D.C. for a little bit, and I'm going to go up to Philly to visit a friend. I've never spent much time in Philly, so if you have any rum bar recommendations in Philly, shoot them our way on any of our social media. We're on, what are we on, Instagram, Facebook. To the rum at gmail.com. Fiji Rum and Tiki Fest 2025. We have a likely date window of August 2025. That's during the cane harvest season. They'll be cutting cane, going to the sugar mill. We have a great venue for you. Once that's in writing, we'll announce that. And the good thing about coming here to Fiji for, well, there's a lot of crossover we talked about with the rum and the tiki on the Venn diagram, right? For those two groups, come down here to the South Pacific where the art and the spirit of Tiki was inspired. You'll be able to hear from authentic storytellers, 
with the oral histories that have been in families for generations. There'll be the opportunity to talk with craftspeople, to buy things, to take back. And for the more adventurous ones who want to venture beyond Fiji into the South Pacific, this is your chance to visit places like Tonga or Vanuatu, where our friends at 83 Islands have their distillery. So it's going to be a great thing. Look out for more information on it. We'll get a website up within the next month or so, and we'll announce that on here. And I think we're ready to introduce the mega guest. Mega guest activated. <laughs> Who do we have today, Brian? <laughs> well, you know him by a myriad of names. You know him as Cocktail Wonk, Rum Wonk. I don't know why I paused. I, I, I know this information. The man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Rum himself, Matt Petrick. So Matt, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Thank you for having me on. For for our listeners who, however unlikely, may not know who you are, you're a historian, educator, author, publisher, train the trainer, envoy, and really just um, a, a huge proponent of rum. So we are really excited to have you on. And you've turned it into a full-time career. So hats off to you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's been a long journey, but I'm happy to be here talking with you. Before we get into the the meat and the potatoes, I gotta know, Matt, usually we do a show and tell, so where everybody has a, a tiny tipple of rum or something like that, and, and if it's too early or whatever, no worries, but typically we do a show and tell. So, Matt, are you enjoying something? Do you plan on enjoying something maybe later? Um, good question. Uh, I don't have uh, anything in my glass at the moment, but as I, as I look upon my desktop, I have approximately 17 bottles here on my desktop, including some Cuban <laughs> rum, uh, some Renegade Age, some Age Renegade rum, Brugal Collection Visionara, uh, the Eldorado LBIDHE, uh, some Louisiana rum, uh, some some Damasel, some yeah. I have no shortage of rums on my desktop, and that's not counting. Oh, I've got some some stuff from my my. Um, Name that rum event in Miami Rum Congress. Yeah, I need to clean up my desk, clearly. So, <laughs> Constantine, what are you drinking? You know, it's not even 9 o'clock in the morning here in Fiji, so I am having the Ron Colon Salvadorino coffee-infused rum. This Ooh. brand is one that I've been following on social media for a long time, but you can't get it here. So I managed to bring a bottle back during two trips ago. But yeah, it's really nice, and it's got those coffee notes in it, so little something to wake me up in the morning. Hey, wait, hey, wait. I, I'm just looking at your bottle and it's like, I have something similar. It's like Ron Cologne, but it's just like Oleo, banana, banana Oleo or something mm. like that. Banana. Yeah, I haven't cracked that bottle Maybe yet. Bananas and do yeah. some sort of situation. Yeah, this, this one was hiding behind my 24-inch monitor, so. <laughs> so the rum's just coming out of the woodwork. I love it. Oh, yeah. Well, you can see, you can see some of it, so. <laughs> Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, we, we're looking at the screen, and behind Matt is just not not like something some some nice little dainty shelves, industrial strength shelves packed mm -hmm. full of rum. Behind Matt right now, as we're doing this podcast, endless, endless amounts. Endless. Of rum. I hope you have a good uh, system for for tracking everything, because Matt, with my collection, some of these are you know by quote unquote <laughs> style, but mm -hmm. I mean even just going and, and starting, and, and I haven't finished, I haven't finished modern Caribbean rum just yet. But just trying to figure out, okay, how am I supposed to categorize these? And whenever I show photos of my collection, people are like, well, I hope you have that coded and categor or categorized in a proper fashion. And I'm like, eh, I, yeah. maybe, but I've got an ADHD brain. Do you have a system in place for, or is it for just all that? bottles? Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, it. Uh, I do actually. Um, oh. Essentially, I go by 
uh, I'm very hierarchical. Uh, we, are, we, I think you and I are both for, uh, like I'm, I'm a former tech person. Um, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think in terms of hierarchy, so basically, um, I don't want to say colonial classification, but, uh, British, French, Spanish from there by country. So for example, Jamaica gets its own shelf. Um, yeah. uh, if I'm looking at it, uh, Barbados and, um, Barbados, St. Lucia and Trinidad are sharing a shelf. Mm. Um, but, uh, then within each, within each country, it's by producer, uh, and then down to very sub levels within that. But, uh, if you tell me, ask me like, do you have this bottle? I'm 90% sure I can tell you like, yes, I have it or no, I don't. And if I do have it, I can probably grab it within 10 seconds. That's amazing. Yeah. I love and it. And the little yellow chartreuse bottle hidden back in there away from Yeah, there, the yeah, there, there, there is a yellow chartreuse. <laughs> the funny, the th- people always comment on the rum collection, but usually what they're looking on here is actually the, the not rum part of the collection. So <laughs> yeah, way to be like everybody else, Constantine. <laughs> <laughs> And That's why I'm the rum runner up and you're the rum runner up, which I mean, Matt, just so you know, like Constantine, yeah, I, Matt, you know, like I'm the rum champion and, and Constantine, when he wanted to have his rum specific social media handle, he willingly chose the rum runner up, which I think is just <laughs> so hilarious. So anyways, follow the rum runner up or, or not the sorry, rum runner up on Instagram for anybody that's listening And to close out our, our show and tell I have got some Ron Pepon and Yeho. Mm-hmm. Now this is cane juice rum from Puerto Rico. And if you've never heard of Ron Pepon, uh, it's easy to understand. It's a very small single estate distillery cane juice. And I'm a huge, huge fan of what they do. This is some of the best juice or liquid or whatever you want to classify your rum as this is just great stuff so if you get a chance to try some or get a hold of a bottle do it yeah it's good stuff we uh we visited uh, pepe uh, when we were in puerto rico uh we visited bacardi and we were and then barolito and we we're like hey they're close by and he came and got us and uh, we had a lovely day afternoon with him so uh doing that so it's funny because I, I i went out there last year and in fede took me around to a lot of different places and I do have to say that was where my snobbiness was was put in check because before it was like, oh, well, Bacardi and, you know, they're just joking. Blah, blah. And then you go to the, you go see the facility and it's like, wow, no, these guys are pretty legit with their approach and everything. Doing, and, yeah. And with their, you know, keeping the proprietary yeast and they have to have the security to cat detachment with the briefcase and the, uh, mm-hmm. the uh, handcuff and all of that. And it's just crazy when they do everything. And so, yeah. And then I was able to, get the four star that I bottled myself mm-hmm. and then waxed it. And that was such an amazing experience. So mm-hmm. if anybody me has yet to be to Puerto Rico, it's a great place to go for rum. And then there's other really unknown brands like Scryer, for example, or mm-hmm. there's car Jaker Jacker. That's mm-hmm. part of Distilleria Coqui and that's overproof Puerto Rican rum, mm-hmm. which, Oh boy. Yum. Yeah. Yum. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. There's funny. There's actually, a, there's a third distillery in Puerto Rico that is actually bigger than most other Caribbean distilleries. But, uh, but most people have never heard of, and I'm is drawing it, a blank on. Is it Club Caribe? Because they have it a, is, it is, cause, yes. Because you know what's funny, Matt, is Fede. We ended up getting like a very informal tour, and then you go into the courtyard and you see one of the giant Vendome pot stills from mm-hmm. Carony, and you're mm-hmm. like, "How in the world did this get here?" And they're not even. I don't think they're using it because it's just out in the open. It's not covered. I don't think it's part of their process. They are doing pot still stuff, but I was amazed that. One, it ended up in Puerto Rico. I think the other one might be in Puerto Rico as well. 
Um, and then just oh. side note that TDL just didn't want to take those stills. So uh, it's actually, I mean, the story, if I remember it correctly, this is not, it wasn't actually Karen or TDL, but they are related in there. And uh, this, the, brief, the brief story is that this was uh, LVMH. And this was who was, mm. who was, who had gone into, uh, into Trinidad and was doing, uh, distilling what was ten, what, 10 cane rum. And then when they basically left that project behind, uh, I guess the stills, uh, they all came over to Puerto Rico. The big one, I guess, went to Club Caribe, and the little ones actually went to uh, to uh, Rum Papam, so San Juan oh, Artisan. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I think they all came over at once. So uh, Pepe, more, yeah. Pepe told the story, and I guess got a, I guess he got a pretty good deal on them. So beautiful stills, and the quality of the liquid absolutely speaks for itself. And so, speaking of, if you've never heard or read anything that Matt has done, he has written several books and is very focused and intent on research. So, and I've bugged Matt since getting in contact with him, I don't know, way more than any reasonable person. Okay, Matt, so the 57%, the gunpowder proof, that was all bullshit, right? Okay, God, <laughs> now I got to go undo that video and I have to go do a talk about the <laughs> being next to the pus and the reason it was that proof is so that it didn't explode. And okay, so I got to go redo that. Thank you. And then just, hey, Matt, what about this? Okay, cool. So anyways, long story short for, for everybody listening, if you don't know Matt and what he is doing, treasure trove of knowledge. And so we're here to talk about Modern Caribbean Rum, his latest book, which is, it's not a book, it's not a novel, it's a tome. And so I know that that's the, the main focus of what we're talking about today is the the time, energy, effort, your research approach, and, and anything else that comes up in talking about writing a rum book. It sounds nice to write a book, so maybe you could at least illuminate us on the process and maybe we'll be encouraged or maybe discouraged. We'll see. <laughs> Oh yeah, no. I'm uh, happy to, happy to tell you what I know and have, have learned the hard way over. This is technically the think the sixth book that I've been involved with, wrote Ooh. or been par partially wrote, written. So yeah, fire away. Let me let me know what you want to know. Yeah, you have to tell us about this a little bit. Um, you know, the, people think about writing books as this sort of romantic process. A writer inspiration hits comfortably in the chair. I think you'll probably dispel a little bit of that. Now, yours is rum-focused. So again, people have the romantic notion of you sailing around the Caribbean, having a tipple, and hanging oh, out a few notes on your typewriter. It'd be interesting for people to know sort of how you got here, because you're not your career didn't start in rum. You didn't start in spirits. You were a software engineer. And as we talked about before, that with a little bit of the skill of taking something incredibly complicated like software breaking it down for everyone else to understand. You brought that with you. So just tell us a little bit about kind of how you got here briefly. Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, I was, uh, uh, like to say, I'm a reformed software engineer, uh, 30 years, <laughs> and I left right around 30-year mark. Um, my, at some point, I realized like my superpower, if you want to call it that, was taking complex things and making them, understanding them myself first and sort of breaking them down, understanding them, and then re-explaining them, uh, explaining like, here's how this works. And, I, you know, I used that skill back in the 1990s, early 2000s, uh, writing about, you know, basically tearing apart Microsoft Windows because... Uh, they, at the time, Microsoft was going to tell you how the heck it worked, and there were, you know, big gaps between what they told you and what you needed to know. And so I sort of filled those gaps and I figured it out the hard way and and explained them, explained Windows and how you interface with it um, in a way that that developers desperately needed at the time. Fast forward 10, 15 years, um, I was sort of starting to think about getting out of tech at some point and. Uh, 
uh, my wife, Carrie, co-author of the book, uh, she was, she's like, why, you know, you know, why, why don't you, you know, instead of telling me everything, you know, why don't you tell the, tell the readers, like, <laughs> basically, you know, something I hadn't thought about, basically start writing about uh, spirits and cocktails. I mean, it was in the, it was in the cocktails before I was necessarily hardcore rum, but I was like, hey, you know, thought about like, yeah, okay, it kind of makes sense that I would take take the approach that I took to writing about about uh, software and applying it to the spirits world because <clears throat> the the thing is 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 there's so much you know misinformation out there or marketing inspired misinformation and you know not not the you know slam them per se but so much of what we read um, is hard for people to to separate the wheat from the chaff what's correct information what's not correct information what's a nice lovely story and you know as a, as an engineer i had learned like you have to have this like i don't want to say the bullshit filter the like does it actually is what you're telling me does it add up does it make sense can i cross reference it with what somebody else has said how do i actually ascertain what the truth is and i started you know started applying that to the spirits and you know asking questions and well, this person said this this person said this okay they're different okay go dig in why ask ask both people again <laughs> do your own research and so that sort of drove my my approach to wanting to write about cocktails and spirits and and rum in particular you know my my approach was never to to think about you know, writing reviews, you know, I've done it a few times, but it's never, it was never like, oh, you should buy this rum or this rum's better. Or, These are my top 10 rums. That was never my focus in all this. It was more of, of the, like, what's the truth? What, what, what do I need to know? What's factual information that I can base, base my buying decisions on? You know, what are the questions I have? If I have those questions, other people have those questions. So mm -hmm. if I learn something, share it. So, so that's kind of how it, it got started. I recently recorded a video about the, the misconceptions of rum and I, I distilled it down pun intended to about a minute talking about why you think rum is sweet and so a lot of people don't even know okay they think oh sugar cane okay so it must be sweet but the basis for all of that is really formulated because and I love that you just break down in modern Caribbean just very succinctly it's okay yes it's distilled from sugar cane but once it goes through the process there's actually zero grams of sugar and then there's sugar added, and it could be for you know stylistic choices or whatever, whether it's spiced rum or Latin countries that are adding rum or Filipino rum or whatever. And then the other piece too is most people think about it spiced rum because again, that's all most people in in the U.S. and even talking to Pete Holland in the U.K. like Dead Man's Fingers is the the thing that people think about, which is just crazy. So just appreciate the approach, Matt, and, and really just shaping the perception and inspiring others to then share whether it's you directly or folks that are me bugging you and doing it. So thank you. It's, it's oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. You're very, you're welcome. You know, what I would say is, is that my, you know, my approach, you know, it's, it works for me, not for everybody. My approach is, is to, if somebody says something I'm like, okay, where do they get that information from? Is it correct? Can we verify that? And it turns out verifying information is hard work, but if you're willing to do it, you can usually find some sort of answer. <clears throat> so there's lots of myths, lots of stories out there. And you're like, where did this come from? You know, and so for example, this thing about the you know, Navy rum and gunpowder, like where, where did the story come from? Who, who was the first person to tell it? And, you know, and in that particular case, I've sort of started going back, you know, you know, these days, you know, with Google and Google books and, and internet, internet archives, you can easily search for like, when was this story? When was the earliest example of the story that can find? And and start digging back and digging back and like, oh, some you know, 
I always want to go to original sources. I want to say like, okay, this is a story told about something 200 years ago. There's got to be some record of that from 200 years ago, something that validates or invalidates it. And so that's a lot of what I do is, is go back to the original sources and, and it's, it's hard work, but that's, that's, you know, that's what lets me, you know, speak authoritatively on well, this was the case or that was the case or, or what have you. So things like, you know, Jamaican, you know, like Jamaican rum was in the Royal Navy blend. It's like, yeah, sort of, but it was not really the primary thing. In fact, if you go back, you know, these are all public sources online, but you can go back and say, oh, here's the Navy specifically saying that Jamaican rum was not part of the blend, contradicting the sort of conventional wisdom that everybody has been saying for the last 20, 30 years, what have you. So for it's, your research, is it mostly uh, online or do you find yourself actually getting into the <coughs> National Archives and digging paper sources and things like that? Um, great question. A uh, combination of both. There's more of it is online just because most of where the good stuff is is is, is uh, not here in New Orleans or even in the United States. Um, but I've been to places like the British National Archives and Kew. This is my, 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 my happy place. I've been to the like the City of London Library. That's where I found like the complete fire report of the West India docks from 1936 with photographs. Uh, I've been to a couple other London archives uh, when we were in Jamaica in this past uh, November. We went to the Jamaica National Library and found some more interesting stuff. So I, I'm always going to like, you know, seeking out a good archive and what can I find there. But there's vast treasure troves of information in Google Books, HathiTrust, other online sources, newspaper archives. Like we have, like I can access any any issue of the Jamaica Gleaner going back to 1880. And Jamaica Gleaner is this gold mine of information about Jamaican rum as it was happening. And the very detailed reporting on Jamaican rum industry because Jamaican rum was central to Jamaica's economy. And the history is out there, but just most people don't know it exists. Or even if they do, they just don't want to do the work to go find it and track it down and this is uh you know there's there's you know sometimes i feel like i'm one of the only people out there you know with you know with the gold pans sifting out like here's actual truth here's what was actually being happening here not just what somebody reported in 1980 and then everybody else sort of picked on it and becomes the game of telephone over the years like no there's just actual truth out there you just gotta go find it and 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 interpret it. And, and to that point, Matt, is we had Andrew Cabot on Privateer, and he mentioned you that, that you had found some article from a, a guy named Peter Valer, Valer, mm -hmm. Valer yeah. along those lines. And it, it really did talk about the, the long lost history of, I mean, New England style rum. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. even with that, are you just looking through like old libraries? Because the, the gist of the article for everybody that's listening, if you want to listen to it, um, Matt can send it to you on demand, any mm -hmm. time of day, 24 hours, not Matt bot. <laughs> yeah, Matt bot. But it, it basically just talks about how New England style rum from like 1865 till prohibition, there was a lot of investment from New England rum distillers that wanted to compete with whiskey. So, I mean, how do you even find just something <clears throat> that specific? The, it's, you know, I'm not surprised Andrew focused on that part of the article because um, it's germane to what he's doing. But there's other fascinating things in there, like the description of Barbados rum in that article is not at all the way that Barbados rum is described today. Um, I, I won't spoil the surprises for anybody, but uh, go find the article and read the description of, of how Barbados rum is made uh, in 1937. It's going to be very different from what your perceptions are today. So when people tell you about a long history of Barbados rum and this and that, like, well, the information's out there. Go see what it says. But yeah, I mean, a lot of it is a lot of what I find. The information is out there, but it's not just sort of like randomly flipping through documents. Um, thank goodness. Uh, 
uh, keyword searching that um, everything mm -hmm. is 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 OCR'd, everything <laughs> meaning you can search for it, search for words, uh, and it's sort of a skill, you know, same sort of skills you use for like tracking down information in Google with filters and, and qualifiers and, and you know within you know show me documents within a date range. Uh, and just sort of learning, le learning what, to, you know, you have a question you're trying to find out you know, and you're trying to answer. And then it's a matter of what are the right terms that are going to like in terms and filters that are going to give me the highest likelihood that the, the first set of documents returned or what I'm after. And at that point, yeah, then you start sort of looking through them. But I don't, I don't just like flip through thousands of documents every day. Like I usually have a very specific thing. Like what was the first use of the term muck mm -hmm. in Jamaican rum? You know, it's like, and I go to these each archives and I create the custom queries for each each archive is going to show me show me that those documents um, first in those archives. So, sort of using my tech skills. So besides documents. It's a, a much more limited resource, but people, people you've met along the way, mm -hmm. people who guided you. Can you tell us about anybody who just sort of really influenced you or was helpful in some of the projects you've done? Yeah, um, uh, I've been extremely fortunate that I have so many people who sort of helped me along the way, provided um, sort of key information that, that triggered something. Um, sort of the example, one example that comes to mind uh, is, I don't know, 2014 or so, I was chatting with the gentleman who created Denizen Rum um, before it basically got uh, sold, um, but uh, to Hodling, I think. Uh, but, you know, he was, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm a young blogger trying to write about anything and he, you know, got a sample anything. And he, you know, got hopped on a call and I was talking about it, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, it was like, buy it from Amsterdam, this company, and like, oh, wait, 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 back up here. He was like, oh, this company called ENA Shear. Like, Okay, this is interesting. And he's like, oh, it's a 250 year old country. I'm like, okay. It was like a little tire screeching moment of like, I need to stop and go down that rabbit hole. So, um, even though he hasn't played, you know, sort of an enormous day to day influence over my you know, sort of writing since then, it was it was that little like a little glimpse behind the curtain that then my my you know desire to dig deep, and get to the source of truth, um, sort of took over. Uh, plenty of other people, you know, uh, people like Karsten uh, Idina Shear. Once I connected with him, you know, he he's you know a fascinating person. He doesn't say a whole lot, but if you ask the right questions, it'll give you it'll give you interesting answers. And and lots of people have been influenced. The whole the whole plantation team has been very supportive. Uh, Alexander and Gabriel and I love to you know nerd out on stuff. Um, and then like uh, my work with Worspa as a community envoy for Worspa, um, Von Rennick, who's the CEO, he knows far more about rum than than I do. And but you know he's out there not a, not out in the public trying to interview people or write books. But again, you can ask the questions and find stuff you had no idea. And like, okay, there goes another two weeks of my life chasing down that obscure thing. So, um, yeah, do dozens of people who have played uh, played a role over the over the years. Um, oh, and other as well. The part of Worspa just um, we did the Icon series and Rum Maker series. Um, you know, if you would have told me ten years ago that I would be interviewing people like Joy Spence or you Super So, uh, mm -hmm. who was a company, you know, who was the basically built DDL and and um, uh, Trudy Ann Branker and Evan Brown, who created National Rums of Jamaica. Um, uh, next week, I'm in the, or this week, I'm be interviewing uh, one of the one of the families that's owned Jay and Ray and nephew since the 1920s, uh, who basically built a 
New Yarmouth the story into what it is. Like I've just a phenomenal access to these people. And it's just, you know, my enthusiasm, my telling stories. And people see that and they're like, yeah, I'll talk to him. And so um, there's no one person or even a couple of people. It's been a community that's seen my enthusiasm and sure, I'll, I'll help him. I'll share what I know. And, and, you know, I consider it my, my sort of, uh, purpose slash uh, duty to report that out to the rest of the world. Here's what I've learned. I'm not going to keep it all to myself. I'm going to report it out to you. So I love it. And, and one just quick rabbit hole question, Matt. So I've tried to explain this to people that, okay, so Ray and nephew LTD owns Appleton, obviously, you know, Campari's involved, but mm -hmm. Ray and nephew owns Appleton and Appleton owns the New Yarmouth distillery and New Yarmouth is where they make Ray and nephew rum. So is it, I'd imagine not, not exactly great. right. Okay. See, that's why I wanted to to get the clarity because I'm like, that doesn't that circle kind of doesn't make sense. Yeah, and there's there's actually a company missing in there. Um Ooh. so Campari, Campari bought uh butchered pronunciation. Uh Campari bought LaSalle's de Mercado. I think it was twenty fourteen, I think. They bought LaSalle's de Mercado. LaSalle's de Mercado owns a variety of entities, including J. Ray and Nephew. Mm. J. Ray and Nephew owns not only the Appleton brand uh, and associated brands, but it also owns the Appleton Estate Distillery as well as the New Yarmouth uh, Distillery. Got it. And New Yarmouth happens to make, today makes makes the uh, you know, most or nearly all of, or entirely makes all of the uh, Ray and Nephew overproof. That's helpful. And I think like Charlie's is there too, which I'm really sad that you can't get <clears throat> Charlie's here in the US. Yeah, yeah, Charlie's is a column distilled from New Yarmouth plus because it has to be from New Yarmouth because because Appleton doesn't have any operating column stills anymore. Uh, so it has to be from the at least the column still has to be from New Yarmouth. But uh, little birdies tell me that the the highest component may not be from New Yarmouth and may, may not be from Appleton. So I, I, I have many secrets. Not everything gets revealed. I have a particular set of skills. Mm -hmm. I don't know where you are, but I will give you yeah. the information you need. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't I don't I don't say everything I know all the time. No, no. And, and honestly, too, Matt, another article that if anybody is interested in learning about Jamaican rum, the, the Jamaican marks across the six distillers and just being able to break down and see fascinating because I had no idea that each of these six distilleries had between three to eight marks each. Right. And I will say that 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 mark list is is uh, was an enormous pain in the ass. But uh, it's sort of it's what I love to do is like, OK, Clearly, there's something missing here. And then, you know, I think, you know, some some smart people like see me working at it, like, you know, documents that appear in the middle of the night, you know, type of thing. And like, where did this come from? I have unknown source, but like it checks out and sort of, you know, sticking with it, not making a list once and then abandoning it. Like the list has grown over time. And uh, I would challenge people to go back and, and look at the original list versus what's now. And you'll see there's a substantial number of changes. And, and again, um, sometimes I talk with people and I learn little things like what NYE, what the WK and NYEWK is, you know, that, um, you know, that's sort of the thrill for me is, is there's like, it's a puzzle. Uh, so much of what I do in history is a puzzle. And, and you, sometimes you get handed this new set of pieces. But the fun part is you don't know what the puzzle is of. You have to keep giving the pieces. Oh. And then you're trying to like 
finish the puzzle so you see what's actually was happening so i see a movie here with you hanging out in some dark parking garage and uh you know <laughs> an envelope is tucked under your windshield wiper you know deep throat and then sort of the watergate-esque kind of thing going on here with all the, the secrecy involved <laughs> that i i wish it was that exciting oftentimes it's like it's <laughs> like you didn't get this from me and i don't know where you got it from <laughs> <laughs> getting back yeah. to people some some rum fans will know of a guy named Stephen Remsburg, who also lived in New Orleans, mm -hmm. who allegedly had the largest rum collection. Did you ever meet him or know anything about him? And, and he had some real gems, I hear, in that collection there. Yeah. So uh, I have been to Steve Remsburg's house. Uh, funnily enough, it was before we moved to New Orleans. Um, we were here for Tales of the Cocktail and... Um, it was the year Appleton was doing a big event here and we were in town a few extra days and I basically invited myself over and he was like, sure, come on over. <laughs> so yeah, we went over there. Um, we drank some Jamaican rums primarily. Uh, good time. Uh, lovely gentleman. Uh, I actually wrote an article about it with pictures that was in Rum Porter and I, don't, I can't find it anymore online. I don't know if they took it down or what happened. Anyhow, uh, I've written about the experience. Um, there's actually some of the pictures I took are, are in modern Caribbean rum there. And, um, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it was certainly not the largest rum collection in the world. Uh, it's uh, I have the email from him where he's saying like it's not twelve thousand bottles. I, some some magazine I forget. I told them twelve hundred. They wrote it as twelve thousand, and now everybody thinks it's twelve thousand. Like twelve thousand bottles is like a large liquor store, and it's not going to fit in my house. So twelve hundred bottles. <laughs> um, uh, that collection was uh, you know it was a little swirl, a little kerfuffle about where it would go, but it. Uh, ended up uh, with Luca Gargano in it's now in one of his his or one of his warehouses in uh, Genoa, I believe. I know some people who have who have seen some of the collection there, but it's uh, my understanding is it's a it's a not insignificant, but not a the dominant part of Luca's collection. Yeah, and and just one question that comes to mind, Matt, is I'd imagine it, it was part of an estate sale. I just I'm curious to know that the legalities of it, not that oh my God, that's illegal, but just knowing that you know. You, I'm in LA, you're in California. If I want to sell you, I don't know. I just yesterday or this weekend found a Hamilton seven year St. Lucia pot still. And I can't be like, Hey Matt, if you want to buy this bottle from me. So I'm assuming that it was like when he passed away, it was like an estate sale transaction thing or something like that. Um, actually, no. Um, if you, uh, there's actually some stuff. If you go back and look at uh, Cocktail Wonk from that 2016 or so, uh, it was like plant. He was originally, the plan was for it to go to, uh, plantation uh now it's mm -hmm. under um they had a big event with steven steven there and jeff berry and a bunch of people there and i was there um and that's where that collector there's called the bottle's called the collector was was uh distributed at that event um uh and then you know and i think my understanding is that you know steve well steven you know this is just my understanding i'm not speaking for the family or anything like that but my understanding is is well steven loved his rum his family didn't want to deal with it uh you know after he passed away or whatever so he was like you know, like let me and let me you know do it and so you know the plan was originally to go to um, plantation but then in the end for whatever whatever happened uh in the end uh i guess luca was able to purchase it and it all went to uh to luca so the morning and, and that was and that was uh you know at least two or three years if not longer before he passed away and and matt knowing that because i've transitioned out of tech and i'm in the very early stages of rum being my full-time job sorry to left turn here Mm -hmm. Um, just kind of what's the biggest challenge that, you know, you've, you've faced starting out or that you continually face in, how do you change passion into 
profitability or at the very least covering like expenses? I'm all ears for the advice. Yeah, um, great question. Um, you know, what, what you got to learn is that uh, rarely is there a straight line. Um, you have to end up taking diversions. Um, you know, my original thinking was that I was, when I quit my tech job, my goal was like, I'm going to write about uh, rum and other things. Uh, and, you know, for, you know, punch or, or what have you. Um, my thought was not, oh, you're going to become a publisher at some point. You know, we have four books now, uh, not and two of them aren't by me. So, you know, it's sort of being open to what's out there. I thought, you know, I initially thought I was going to be writing for various publications, maybe doing some freelance consulting. Um, and, and I have done some of that, but it's not certainly not enough. Those things by themselves yet are not enough to, you know, support me as it is. But fortunately, you know, we came across the books. The books did well. Oh, like we should probably look for other people, um, and so on and so forth. So um, it was it was definitely not a straight path to that. Um, you know, the the you know challenge early on was just getting anybody to pay attention to you to be to you know pay attention to you to see you to give you the time of day to give you to trust you with information. And mm -hmm. that's you know it's been ten years for that. And I'm you know for for all the successes I have and the people who who you know appreciate what I'm doing. There's lots of people who have no idea what I'm doing. So, you know, you never, you, ne you never reach a point where like, of course, everybody knows what I'm doing and is happy to, to work with me. You know, it's, it's always an ongoing process. And it kind of feels like I can never remember the name of the character in, in Greek mythology, where they're basically tasked with pushing a giant boulder up a hill. And then by the time they get to the hill, who is it, Constantine? Sisyphus. Sisyphus. Am I saying that right? Sisyphus. Sisyphus. All right. Say that 10 times fast. Sassafras. Sisyphus. Um, but it's, it's really, it, that's just kind of what it feels like for me of just, it's not tech money, right? Which is not a bad thing because I absolutely love what I do, but you are constantly fighting misconceptions, uh, lack of education. And I still admittedly know nothing about any of this. I'm just an enthusiast that wants people to realize there's more to, to the category than just spice rub. Right. Right. And so it just, that's, it's, it's, it just makes sense, right? That you're just yeah. continually pushing it up the hill. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's pushing up the hill and, and other times it's, it's I've plateaued. Like, oh, okay, mm. I've done this. this. Nice. Now, I can take five. I can do this. I can <laughs> take five. But also when you're at the plateau, you're like, oh, now I see an even bigger hill ahead of me. So I remember having that feeling once we once we, you know, got modern Kirby and Rum out the door, it's like, oh, okay. Uh now I'm on this nice plateau. I get to enjoy this for a little while, but I'm not done. I have now I have even bigger challenges, even more things I want to do. So, you know, you, you never get to just like, it's never just, just like coasting. Like I drink a little rum, write a little bit about it. I talk with people and, and the money comes in. There's always, yeah, it's there's lot. always, you know, the next thing, like where, where do I want, do I want to speak with, you know, you know, speak with them, do I want to consult with them, all these sort of things. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a full-time job, but at least you enjoy it. Um, the one part of me too, Matt, and, and Constantine, I've told you both this uh, individually, I get so damn envious of tequila here in Southern California, in LA specifically, because I, I mean, you both know I, I work with a few different liquor stores that curate their rum selection, and trying to do barrel picks, rum barrel picks, is challenging. Whereas if I were the tequila champion or whatever, like I've talked to a few of these high-time wine cellars in Costa Mesa, amazing liquor stuff. So if you've never been, you have to go. They're like, oh yeah, we pulled in this barrel of Fortaleza, blah, 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 350 bucks a bottle or somewhere in that just very expensive ballpark. Oh, and the bottle sold out in three hours. I'm just like, man, I know that it's rum is going to be the next big thing. 
but but how do we get there? And that's that's kind of the question for you, Matt. Is how is it yeah. whenever that is for for rum to be able to do a barrel pick of whatever um, whatever the brand is, and then it sells out in three hours. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll say I've been thinking about this for ten years. Um, <laughs> what I what I would say to people, I've seen people like you, is um, go back in time five years and look at where we were. Think of yourself in 2019. God, was that only that long? Imagine yourself in 2019, then imagine the world today. Like we got all these, like all these Holmes K marks and all these mm -hmm. this and that and and what have you. And you're like, like you can't imagine it. So it's it's sort of like exponential, but it still is going to take you a long time to get where you need it to be. It's another it's another boulder that's being pushed up the hill. That's for damn sure. You know, going back to some of the history things we talked about in your deep dives into Royal Navy history. You know, I was in the U.S. Navy for 27 years and our Black Top Day, which wasn't called that, was way back in like 1914. And Josephus Daniels, Secretary of the Navy, ended not rum rations, but alcohol rations on ships. Exactly what it was isn't still isn't clear to me. Um, have you looked at that? And is there any interesting history about that? Or is it is it just kind of a boring story? So there's actually um, the canonical Royal Navy rum reference that people look at. And I'll qualify that in a moment. But uh, is uh, uh, James Pack's Nelson's Blood, written in 1980, I believe, 80 or 82. But uh, there's a chapter in there about uh, the rum and the American in the American Armed Forces. Um, <clears throat> what I do know is that uh, you mentioned 1914 date. It's actually, it was 1862 where the, my understanding is 1862 when the rum ration was abolished mm -hmm. and it was 1914 when the Navy went completely dry. Oh. So there could be a distinction between you get some every day versus like you get, you're allowed any at all. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So for example, I mean, today, uh, Royal Navy, you could, they could still be a, uh, a, uh, a ration issued. I'm, I'm imagining when Charles Charles's uh, coronation that uh, there was probably an up spirits called, and all the Royal Navy, all the Royal Navy uh, people got a ration of something. It doesn't necessarily have to be rum. Um, there's a whole uh, whole uh, interesting argument I had with uh, Rocky Yeh, for anybody who remembers remembers him um, about whether the Royal Navy had to keep keep Royal Navy rum on board in case you know one of these ceremonial rations was was issued and. What did I do? I went back and, and read, found the regulations, and and the answer, short answer is no. But okay. yeah, in terms in terms of yeah, in terms of a uh, American the American military and rum, um, I have not studied as much just because you know I, I've sometimes I, I feel like I know more you know when I when I hear like Army Navy, I'm, I intrinsically put myself into a British frame of mind rather than an American yep. frame of mind. Yeah, there's just not much history. We used to love it when we would operate with or pull up next to a Commonwealth Navy ship in port. Hmm. Because we'd go over there, go to the bar, and it was like, you know, the first time I got, I got absolutely hammered on this Canadian ship, and it was all subsidized. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whiskey was 25 cents, mm -hmm. and it was, which was, you know, a terrible idea. You got a bunch of 18, 19-year-old American kids coming over. Hey, can we come on board? How much is it? <laughs> oh, it's 25 cents a shot. Can you imagine a bar that does 25 mm -hmm. cents? Oh, man. Yeah. Bastard. Yeah. You loved it. Yeah. My recollection was also like, I think New Zealand still had to ration until 92 or something like that. Something. One of those countries had it till, till surprisingly late in the game. Which is yeah. amazing just if you think about the concept because, and it's, you get that, you know, as, as advanced targeting systems and all of that. But it's it's amazing that it went on for so long. There's a there's a story, not rum specific related, but allegedly Richard Nixon got hammered one night 
and ordered a nuclear strike on, I think it was North Korea. And Henry Kissinger went to the Joint Chiefs and said, he is out of his mind drunk. Belay that order until he sobers up. And then, of course, when Nixon like came to after he was drunk. Yeah, when, when well, I think it was, she got drunk at Trader Vic's. That was his drinking spot. Oh, was it Trader's? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. So, yeah, there is a rum component. So he had too many Navy grogs or whatever. Like, Let's nuke somebody. And everybody's like, no. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. don't do that. And, and so it's just, it's amazing that that went on for so long. And and Matt, I have one other question that I want to talk a little bit about modern Caribbean rum. I know that Constantine are like, well, Matt, what about this? What about that? <laughs> the, the the other thing where there's a lot of ambiguity, the, the, the only thing that I've seen at least written in, and again, limited research, is that I think it was 2019, the U.N. ambassador to Barbados toasted with the Barba Barbados prime minister, leader of the country. I'm not sure what they're called. Forgive me. And it was to the fact that George Washington had Barbadian rum um, casks open and consumed at the first ever presidential American inauguration. And for the long time, you know, I had heard, oh, yeah, well, it's Mount Gay rum. It was Mount Gay rum. And so I don't know if it is Mount Gay rum. Obviously, I think Mount Gay would would be willing to say, oh, yeah, it was our stuff because of clearly. Course. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so do you have any insight on on any of that of like where it was from, if that's true? Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to know, but what you, you know, as, as speaking as a historian, what you do is first thing you do is, well, what are the possibilities? And if you go back, you can, you know, if you find the right records, um, you can feel like, oh, in Barbados in 17, well, 1730, no, he would know. Washington was inaugurated, what, 1780? 89. 17, yeah. Basically, what Barbados facilities were operational in 1789. And it may or may not be online, but you can certainly go find it. And uh, if you're digging around on the right archives, you can go like, oh, look, my guess is there was probably over well over 100 distilleries operating in Barbados sure. at that time. So no offense to Mount Gay, I love their rum, but at the time they were nothing unique or special they were they were all they were each each distillery was basically the little adjunct to the to the sugar mill like um, so much so much of rum history is not found by searching for rum it's usually found by searching for sugar so sure. you have to understand colonial sugar economy and sugar estates and all of that before you can even get into like well who was making the rum and so uh these little small distilleries usually a single pot still they weren't really differentiated from each other it was not right. like not like the mount gay distillery was making mount gay branded muddled rum in 1789 or even 1850 you know it's 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 you know the, the fact that there are brands and we associate them with specific distilleries is actually a very modern um construct you don't really see that happening until you know in terms of bottled rum you don't really see brands and especially brands associated with the distillery you don't really see until the 1870s at the earliest how was that rum sold was it sold to blending houses or was it not even that sophisticated so, I mean, I know, I know the British side of it, but more than what was coming into America per se, but essentially there were, um, essentially the, the owners, you know, the merchants or the owners, depending, um, you know, I'm talking about rum going off the island. Uh, and so, uh, basically each, each estate, you know, would make however much rum they made in a, in a season, a crop or whatever. And, you know, and there's oftentimes a lot of figures there. We know, you know, they made, you know, this estate made you know, 400 punchins this year, and those would be uh, put in a cast, loaded on a ship, and then shipped to whoever was buying them. And, uh, they, you know, they would 
be distributed from there. In the case of stuff going to, to the UK, for example, a lot of it um, went into the would go into like the West India docks to age uh, there under bond, so that the merchants weren't paying taxes mm. until they were taken out. Um, America is probably a, a different story. I haven't looked at it um, coming into America as much. I mean, part of it is just you know America would have you know, was sort of starting by the. 1800 was sort of starting and you know down to whiskey trail or whatever whereas the rum was like the one of the bigger imports into the uk so like each you can't you can't treat all the countries equally each has to right. like, what was the context in this particular country so in terms of like what you know the rum washington bought like who know yeah um, i do i do know for example however that for example there was a tighter connection between like barbados rum was more often go to north america uh, think about Barbados and Charleston. So um, uh, there was not a whole lot of Barbados rum coming into the UK. Uh, tons of Jamaican rum and later uh, Demerara rum were coming into the UK. Mm-hmm. But Barbados rum and the trade was more Barbados North America rather than Barbados UK. The more you know, we, we could go. We could go down. Oh, let's get like, yeah. Like the first time for anybody, like the first time I talked to Matt on the phone, I think we talked for an hour. And it wasn't, hey, how'd you get into rum? We just we just nerded out for like an hour on okay, so yeah, what about this and what about that? Yeah. Um and, and I will just... say, like there are there are there are um papers, like people who've done their PhD theses, you know, back as far as like the nineteen seventies, like McCluskey, um, who are just like completely nerd out and like the flow of trade and all this kind of stuff. And, sure. and yeah. So anyhow. And and Matt, I know we've talked about the the approach to research and, and how you find it. And so Modern Caribbean Rum, uh, it's a relatively newly released book that you've put out, The, the Magnificent Tome. And so, you know, I, did, I know that you, you've written other books, so you've written one other, you published a couple others. So this seems like a, an absolute monster of a task, like a gargantuan task. And so what led you to the decision to say, hey, I'm going to write this. And I, I did, was it always, hey, it's going to be this, this giant book or did it kind of morph into that? So my, I think the, the genesis of it was that I had uh, come back from Jamaica. I would somehow lucked into uh, being asked to go with Worspa actually to um, visit Jamaican stories in 20, I think it was 2016. And, and we had gone to Barbados a couple of years earlier and I was like, ah, oh, I love rum and want to write a book. And like, surely I can you know, visit a few more distilleries and write a book. And so, and that was around the time that I was uh, helping Fred Minnick um, I'd sort of so technically reviewed his, his, uh, rum curious book and Fred was like, yeah, you should do your own book. And so I sort of put together an outline and, and, you know, Fred helped me find an agent. We start shopping it around. Nobody would bite. Okay. Fine. Nobody would bite. Uh, kind of put it aside for, you know, a year or two. Um, you know, my son passed away, which led to a lot of, um, you know, life changes and retrospection, but all along I knew what I wanted the book to be. I did not, you know, the vision was not write an 850 page book, but I knew what I, I knew it wanted to be an authoritative book, not only on how rum is made and the business of rum, but also, you know, detailed looks at the individual producers. And so that was my, my vision. And if I look now, uh, back at my original outline from 2016, um, I'd say I nailed it pretty, pretty closely. I'm very happy that the original vision, you know, went out in the end. But um, what happened is between 2016 and, you know, the pandemic was uh, I learned a whole lot and I learned a whole lot more about what I didn't know. The more I learned I didn't know, the more it's like, oh, okay, I've got to add this in, got to add this in. Uh, Opportunities come along. You know, my work with Worspa let me visit more distilleries. 
and more stories than I expected to, you know, like out of the blue opportunities to come to Cuba, all those sort of things. Like they were all like, oh, it was like the great gathering of, of more sources. And so um, when, when we moved to New Orleans in 2020 uh, and my wife started her grad program, I was like, okay, now I, I'm not employed in tech anymore. Um, I have time and let's crank this out and pandemic hit even more free time. And then, but I basically was just like filling out the outline as the outline, like this chapter, here's a chapter, write them. And then at some point I was, you know, writing and, you know, still like halfway dotted. I was like looking at the, at the chapters and like, this is like 400 pages already. Like, uh Oh, um, <laughs> And I'm like, okay, but the, the beauty of publishing it ourselves is there was in a publishing house and so like, we told you 300 pages, damn it. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, I finished writing it, just sort of ground through. I, you know, I felt at many times like I was, you know, in a rowboat in the Atlantic ocean, you know, going, like I know where I'm going, but I know it's also know it's 3000 miles away and I just got to keep rowing and eventually I'll get there. Sure. Um, and then, you know, when I finally, I actually wrote the, the last you know, the last draft, last chapter draft, um, like, like 10 PM on December 31st, New Year's Eve of, uh, 2021. And that point, you know, my wife and I, you know, sort of looked at the book and like, we got to cut some stuff. <laughs> so there's still there's you know, there's like a director's cut edition out there somewhere that might be 950 pages or something, but uh, we okay. cut some stuff, trim some stuff, trim some photos down. But at the end of it, we're like, can we really publish 850 pages? Like, why the hell not? <laughs> nobody else is gonna, nobody yeah. else, uh, nobody else would let us do it. And it's all, you know, and it's like, it's just our money. We're putting, you know, putting that money at risk. Like we're spending a lot of money to print this. And, but we believe um, that the, the rum enthusiasts, the rum geeks out there will, will buy it, that they'll enjoy it. And they've proven me very correct. And I'm very happy that so many people have enjoyed it. Just quick stats, how many pages, how many countries, how many distilleries? Okay. So there's 850 pages. Uh, there are 850 pages. There are 38 chapters. There are 20 rum producing regions and depending on your count, 70, I use 70, 75 different distilleries with detailed overviews. That's your one-stop shop for Caribbean rum. Yeah, that's what you call thorough. <laughs> yeah. And people are like, well, why didn't you include Cachaca? Why didn't you, why didn't, you know, why, you know, why didn't you do them to America? Rum? Like, do you want a 3000 page book? It's 850 pages. <laughs> like, like the, you know, I tell people the, there's, there's a reason that the, the second word of the title Caribbean is in there for a reason. <laughs> it's not because I love Caribbean rum more than, than say North American rum or, or, you know, Southeast Asian rum. It's that it's a scooping mechanism. Mm -hmm. Like, like I, I have to do only the Caribbean or I will never finish this. Yeah. And you, I mean, totally understand it. And you can get really off into the weeds. And I'm sure Matt, with, with whatever research you've done on ARAC and Batavia mm -hmm. ARAC, that's a mm -hmm. whole nother book in the history of just mm -hmm. being one of the first distilled spirits ever with sugarcane and having mm -hmm. to do all the research into that and then leading mm -hmm. into Batavia ARAC and then it coming to the new world where it was First Aguardiente, then Cachaca, and then became Aguardiente again up in like Colombian, um, the Spanish main and all that. So it's when I when I when I try to tell people, oh, so like, yeah, you're a rum person. So that's like Captain Morgan, right? Again, nothing against that brand or anything, but it's like there's a whole five, six thousand years of history here that mm -hmm. it, it touches every single continent minus Antarctica, because you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it, it's just it's it's in it's crazy. So I guess. Is there any plans to do 
a history of American rum, Mexican rum, or rest of world, but I'm sure that would be a few different yeah. volumes. Um, not, not currently. What I will say is, is certainly uh, the rum book may at some point, certainly not imminent, uh, at some point, you know, get a revision in terms of like more up-to-date information, better photos, et cetera, et cetera. But that's many years out. Um, but beyond that, I have another book I'm working on that uh, I'm not sharing yet, but uh, it's... Uh, you know, think of it as taking taking my my very detailed and thorough approach to all of the Caribbean rum, and then focusing it on on one particular topic and a topic that's never gotten the that never gotten the attention the the attention in book form that is truly deserve it truly deserves. And I think when people when once it appears, people will say like, "Why is this book never written till now?" I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. I, so I have another another book that's sort of you know in that in that sort of ending of the research starting of the writing phase so it's it's not appearing imminently though but uh i know what i want to be and i'm incredibly excited about it so there's and there's at least two or three other books i want to write as well so um you know i don't have to keep mining the same material over and over again there's there's some mystery there for what's coming next <clears throat> yeah oh yeah yeah i mean and, you know and, and it's cool and out of a lot of the things i've learned from writing modern caribbean rum learned the hard way i'm like okay not making that mistake this time and so uh i have a, <laughs> a i have a one note notebook from hell uh that <laughs> a few people i've shown it to they're like oh. <laughs> <I'm> just, <laughs> so yeah and then my my question because i asked this to shannon after she finished her book would you recommend other people write books, knowing what you know and, and going through the uh, the ups and the downs and the I'm, what I'm assuming is the feelings of insanity? Yeah. I mean, I, as a publisher, I would say absolutely, yes. Uh, <laughs> as, a, as a writer, um, you know, I would say if you haven't done articles yet, start with that. See what you, see what you, see if you like that because it's, it's really easy to have a great idea, but um, it's writing is is more about the discipline is um lots of people start it lots of people have a great outline lots of people write three chapters and then you know it's hard to keep going you know life happens um and it's a matter of if you truly believe and you can have the discipline then yes you should um you know you have to put some boundaries on yourself i had to stop paying as much attention to social media uh, among other things um it also helped that i didn't have to be at work you know for somebody else to right. to, to make this happen um i would say there's certainly opportunities in passion projects where you've sort of done a lot of the work already. The, the great example being um, Polynesiacs, which is our third book by, by Tiki Tom Tom. And Tom, you know, Tom didn't set out to write a book. Tom set out, as far as I know, Tom set out to like go visit home tiki bars and photograph them and write stories for his for his website. Um, but then after after he had done, it was like, you know, I thought I'd visit, you know, he said, I'll visit like 10 or 12. Like, no, ended up visiting like 75. Like great, and it's like okay, and you know we work with them, and he you know crafted here's an overarching vision for what it is, you know, and and all of those little pieces became part of the book, but he also still had to write you know the the interstitial parts, the the overarching stories and the section intros and all that kind of stuff. So it was still work on his part, but um, you know it wasn't like sitting down. Like I'm writing, I'm, my job is now to write 400 pages, you know, and working with a couple authors who have, have, you know, similar ideas. And so, you know, it really depends on the situation. Um, but it's, you know, it's a discipline thing. And for me, I said Modern Caribbean Rum was my fifth or sixth book, depending on how you count. So uh, I remember, it's funny though, after the first 
two or three of like, never again, never doing this again. <laughs> now having written Modern Caribbean Rum, I'm like, thank God I'm done with this. Now I have three more I want to write. So yeah, so once you catch the once you catch the bug, which mine is is currently <clears throat> okay, cool. Yeah, like oh man, man, like rum is so diverse and all these different rums they taste this they taste completely different and you know, you know, have this conceptual that they're all the kind of the same and then that's how you end up, at least with me, like 480 bottles. And I'm yeah. like, oh, you know, I can get this yeah. one. Oh, oh, wow. Like this Providence 2019 and ex Coroni gas. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. I got to have it because, you know, mm -hmm. like it's, it's amazing stuff. And I've got to get it. Yeah. And you should run with that. And I'll say, like, I was I was once like you. And, you know, I still have a stupid amount of rum. But it's sort of like you realize, you know, it's over time, at least with rum collecting, you're like, oh, okay. I know, I've seen this before. I've seen enough like this before. I'll try it. But, you know, you start looking for, like, what's truly interesting out there what's something from a destroyer i've never had before i think yeah you know like oh look another port cask okay oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly no offense to port cask but 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 yeah yeah no offense to that i you know i love a good port cask but but yeah you start looking like you start understanding like what's truly unique and really interesting versus like what's like a you know this edition is like oh it has a different label i must have it type of thing you know i certainly went through that phase or like like Plantation, blah, 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 from Jerry's in London. I must have this type of thing. And I was like, right. it's, it's okay. Like, you know, and the more you do it, the more you're like, okay, I kind of understand what this is. And I don't necessarily, it's really hard to come across, you know, something or like, I have never experienced anything like this before. So, yeah. And, and I hope to get to that point sooner than later, Matt, because I mean, it's just, it's getting silly. I mean, I was down in San Diego and I got a bottle of this Nissan 2013, which started in cognac and then was finished in ex bourbon. And I can't really think of too many other rums that, where it's completely inverted. So, mm -hmm. and it's delicious. Ed did mm -hmm. a great job in picking that one. Mm -hmm. um, and now, so it's more of like, you know, and then I, I get mad at Jay Cocorulo because they just did a Holmes key pick where it was the Albion. Yeah, I, uh, I bought a bottle. That yeah, was one and, of the ones. We're like, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> but my criteria there, like, oh, okay. That's a mark that I've never had before. Uh, and and I like what Eric's doing with Holmes, Holmes Key, but also like, okay, I've never had this mark before. Okay, that's something I'll invest money in. Uh, but just because it's, you know, whatever, you know, version du jour and whatever cask finish, like, yeah, lovely. I don't necessarily need to have it. Yeah, no, that's fair. And, and speaking of, and, and imagine that a book could be written just on DDL right now, because with the acquisition of all the stills, Abian, Albion, excuse me, I flot. I hope I'm I saying that correctly. I I thought, yes. All right. And then, of course, there's Unmore Versailles, Port Morant, and everything else. And just, it's insane. Oh. Um, they and should so, have yeah. me write a book, you know, not just, not as a card, but, but they should write. <laughs> History like, of I would, Guyanese rum. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, if, if, I mean, you know, when you asked what I was working on, I was like, you know, you know, if that that's, you know, if imagine like a history of Guyanese rum and DDL or something like that would be like of equivalent scope to what I'm working on now. But no, it's not that. Yeah. And with the the versatility, it just shows that rum's so diverse just within the the Eiflot, Versailles, Port Morant, Onmore, and I'm sure the Albion too. So we'll have to do like a maybe a an instagram live where we all get to try this together because i'm pretty excited do it yeah i mean what i would say there is is you know just you're describing it and he was, i was thinking to myself if i would write this book and, and so much about it that's not the rum it's 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 like rum rum is the thread that holds it together but mm -hmm. to write about that you'd have to talk about about like the right you know socialism in the caribbean in the 1960s and it's a story of how these all came to be and like the, the the decline of the Caribbean sugar industry and factory consolidation and 
and you know workers' rights and nationalism, socialism, uh, government takeovers, divestures from the government. There's so much more to the story, you know. And and I touch on some of that in modern Caribbean rum. I didn't want to to go wildly off the track there, but there's so much, you know, in the story in the story like that. There's so much that's not rum, but but it's fascinating and to sort of weave weave the different narratives together into something like, oh, I had no idea. This is so cool. And and the more you dig, and that's just so what's very cool about what you do is I'm sure you find those all the time. Like, wow, I never knew. The more you know. <clears throat> exactly. So um, well, I, I so I'm going to tell you, you I'll give you a real quick example. Um, I came across a, a um, in some uh, the EDNF man ledger sales, uh, rum, rum purchase ledgers from the 1940s. I came across a, uh, a name and I'm drawing a blank on it right now, but I went and looked it up and I'm like, oh, this guy was like a rum merchant in London. And somehow out of the blue, I got a message from some guy like, yeah, that, that guy was like my grand, great, great grandfather. And, um, he, uh, like he committed suicide in like the 1920s after, uh, the Shackleton expedition failed because he bankrolled the Shackleton expedition. Oh, I'm like, Oh, that's so cool. You know, that <laughs> not for suicide that, part, yeah. but yeah, you're like, Oh, that when, when, when something like when this little nugget here, like starts, can, you can start connecting it with these other stories, like other historical things happening. Like, Oh, that's so cool. You know, that, that's, that's the moment I live for. That's when you're like that little, like that last little pin drops in place and you're like, there's a whole other thing here. And then you got to keep yourself from chasing every single shiny object that comes by. I heard yeah. you mention discipline about 10 times when you were that's, talking. Yeah, that's the, that's the discipline, <laughs> knowing yeah. how to like, okay, I'm putting this aside, remembering it over here, putting on a side to chase down, you know, you know what, you know, you, you get very good quickly at like learning, like how far to dig before you go like, okay, I'm not going to turn an obsession into this. So but yeah, like I said, I just, just so much of a, you know, what I love is the stories around it, you know, and stuff, you know, like in the book, the cover over the, I'm sure it's the chapter that, you know, trade tariffs and whatever. And I'm sure that's a chapter most people like flip right over, but like, no, that's fascinating of like, I like how, you know, the the u.s government was basically like yeah we don't want to like give you money it's like all the taxes your rum producers make that'll go back to you and then how that you know ends up like that's how rums of puerto rico came about that's how like royal and rum pilot project and then you're like oh diageo swoops in in 2009 and now we have to cover over cover over which was basically an okay thing is now basically a subsidy to the like there's so much of a story there that is completely independent of whether you like you know bacardi or captain morgan whatever there's actually like you tie it to the bigger part of humanity and i know we could keep going so i know we've got to close this out unfortunately but matt um a lot of people know how to get in contact with you, but what, where can people reach out to you to, to get for more information or to purchase your book or how can people get in touch? Okay. Easy. Uh, wonk is the word. Uh, so, um, uh, all of our, all of our branding is consistent with a wonk sort of theme. Uh, so I was originally was cocktail wonk at cocktail wonk, um, is how most people know me, uh, website still there. Uh, but I recently sort of split the branding for like, you know, cocktails and tiki stuff is cocktail wonk. More rum focused stuff is rum wonk. Uh, rum wonk is my sub stack. So that's all of my sort of rum focused writing now is now going to my rum wonk sub stack. Uh, it's free, but you can, uh, you can also do a paid subscriber if you like. You get nothing 
extra, but you get the benefit of knowing you're helping support me and do independent room research. Um, our books are Wonk Press, and so wonkpress.com. Uh, there you can buy Modern Caribbean Rum, you can buy Minimalist Tiki, you can buy Polynesiacs, and uh, very soon, within a couple of weeks, you'll be able to buy a fourth book, which I can't tell you about yet, but it's very cool. Oh, so um, it's soon. Okay. Yeah, so it's soon. Mm. Yeah, so it's not the, not the one. It's another, it's another book. Actually, it's funny. It's another book. It's another it's a book not about rum, but in the spirits category. Uh, but one of the editor book is actually very well known within rum. So uh, I'll leave that out there as a teaser. Ooh, we yeah. like teasers. Yeah. Uh, Matt at rumwalk.com. Um, you can find me. Awesome. And also cool. all the Instagrams and threads and Facebooks from Walk Cocktail Walk Walk Press. Awesome. Matt, I mean, thanks so much for, for taking the time. This has been an awesome conversation and it flew by. So thank you. Thank you for our listeners. And for anybody out there, if you know anybody that's a little rum curious or a rum lover, please sure, please be sure to share this podcast with them and send in any topics, questions you may have. Constantine, what are we talking about next month? Next, coming up, we're going around the world to rums of Asia. We've done rum from unexpected places in Scotland and Massachusetts. So rums from Asia might be an unexpected place to find rum for some, but there's quite an interesting and sort of up and coming industry. Mm -hmm. in we'll Cambodia and Vietnam. Ooh, I love it. Well, appreciate you guys. Thank you all so much. And we'll see you next time. All right. Cheers.